Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. Thanks for joining us here on Wall Builders. It's Thanksgiving Day. And oh wait, I hear music. What what? It is not Christmas yet. Wait, wait. David Barton does not get to pick the music. Tim and Rick outvote him. Why is there Christmas actually I guess I guess tomorrow it's okay to play Christmas music, so David gets one day early. You used to do this to us in July. So, Tim, we're doing better. We must have outvoted him at some point. Well, it definitely has slowed down the amount of time throughout the year Christmas music is played on the radio. Now, it has not slowed down (laughs) the amount of times it's played in the office or in his truck or at his house. But at least, yes, we've alleviated some of uh, the the enforcing on the listener. I'm offended at the word alleviated, as if this is something that needs to be fixed. Uh, It's the first thing on our thankful list. We are thankful that... Actually, that there's like no Christmas, Christmas music, music in the rest of the year? Yeah. Come on, Rick. <laughs> You're right. I got two branches like, here. Yep. We like Christmas music too um, in the season. And um, it is now the season. So we get to we get to play it. And there is actually, guys, listen, there is so much to be. I know a lot of people are, you know, depressed and they're like other country and we're losing it. There's so much to be thankful for. And I mean, you know, our former presidents, even in the middle of a civil war, Lincoln talked about giving thanks. In the middle of World War II, Roosevelt talked about giving thanks. I mean, the Continental Congress in the middle of the revolution. We should be thankful even today. And there's a lot for us to be thankful for. Yeah, uh, Thanksgiving is a day traditionally where we do that. But I think we need to remember Thanksgiving as a day that's to remind us of an attitude. And that attitude goes back to being God conscious. We're supposed to be God conscious all the time. We're supposed to keep him foremost in our thoughts. We're supposed to keep him in our mind. We're to acknowledge him in everything we do. We're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And Thanksgiving is just one day to help us remember that we're supposed to be doing this all year long. And so, and and by the way, I think that this may be one of the biggest problems America is facing right now is it's not God conscious. Uh, we're seeing that in polling. And, and Romans 1 is really clear that when you don't think about God, when you don't retain him in your thoughts, when you don't keep him in, in your thinking and mind, that your behavior changes. It, you become very different. And we're seeing that behavior change in the nation. Uh, we're seeing things done now that 10 years ago would never have been done, never thought about. And it seems normal and mainstream now. The less God conscious we become, the more secular our thinking becomes, the more our behavior changes. And so Thanksgiving is a is a good day. And a lot of people don't even know why we have a day of Thanksgiving set aside. You know, why why is it we set a day aside? But it really is reflective of a general attitude that every single American, particularly every single Christian American, every God-fearing American needs to have, and that is to keep God foremost in your thoughts and thinking. If you if you think about him, your behavior is totally different. Your optimism is different. Your Everything about it is different when you keep God conscious. Yeah, and that's actually, you know, that's that's how even George Washington made it clear in that that first Thanksgiving proclamation he did it. This is not just a, oh, it feels good, so let's do it. It's This is a duty for the nation and for us as individuals. So, you know, what a, and it does get our mindset right, too. Not only is it biblical, not only is it expected of us, and not only should we do it because it's the right thing to do, we benefit from being thankful, and, and it keeps us from getting down. It, you know, when that gratitude part of our brain's working, the depression part doesn't. So instead of being all down and despaired about things that are going on, we look at the things that are that are being done right. So why we always talk good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it together, um, and and we can keep our mind right, and we can stay in the fight, and and actually count it all joy when we experience those those trials. So even the trials, we should be thankful for. And I'm thankful that we've got tough times because it makes us appreciate the freedom that we do have. 
And you're grateful for when you had Nancy Pelosi a speaker because it makes you more grateful when she's not the speaker. So <laughs> I love it. I love you just that tie it all together. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, you know, guys, obviously, as, as we're looking at Thanksgiving and certainly looking at the anniversary of the Pilgrims, this being the 401st uh, anniversary since the 1621 Thanksgiving of the Pilgrims. And one of the crazy things we are seeing literally mayors, uh, you're, you're seeing city councils, you're seeing locations that are saying we don't want to do Thanksgiving. Instead, we want to uh, have a day of mourning because this is just the recognition of white people stealing land from the Native Americans. And what we're seeing, even in the midst of Thanksgiving, what it should be a super simple, easy, unifying holiday, you're seeing wokeism come out. You're seeing the revisionist historians promoting propaganda, and maybe not even historians, just revisionists in general promoting propaganda, uh, part of this deconstruction narrative. And so it really is worth going back and saying, okay, let's take a little time. Let's let's walk through even the pilgrims because, you know, guys, we've already mentioned that there's a lot. We, we should have an attitude of Thanksgiving, even in the midst of challenging and tough times. And this is even part of the pilgrim story. When you get to the first Thanksgiving, there's 53 pilgrims that survived And out of the hundred plus that came on the original Mayflower, half of them roughly died that first winter. And so you're talking about children and spouses and parents and and, and your loved ones. You've lost all these people and yet they found a reason to be thankful. And certainly you can look back and and see the hand of providence and how God connected them with Somerset and Squanto and, and, and so many providential moments along the way. But it does give indication that as we're looking at this Thanksgiving, and, and again, going back to the attitude of Thanksgiving, it's not just about everything's going great, therefore we should be thankful. I mean, even for the pilgrims, they, they had lost so much and they were still able to find reasons to be thankful and to recognize who God is and giving thanks for both what God had already done for them, but also for who God is. With that being said, I would love to take a little time and guys, let's back up and, and let's unfold some of the story of the pilgrims, which dad, I, I think probably at that point we could even go back to maybe some of the reformation. What, what, what leads the pilgrims to being who they are and what leads, what really drives the pilgrims from England to Holland. So let's back up even to maybe some of the reformation and, and what was, what was the impetus of the reformation that lays the foundation that leads to the pilgrims? Well, I would back up even before that, I would back up all the way to the times of Jesus and what he taught and what he was saying. And he's really big in annoying the Bible. And he, he tells in Matthew twenty two twenty nine he says, you make a great mistake by not knowing the scriptures and therefore the power of God. So there's no question that the Bible makes it really clear that we're to know and study God's word or to be immersed in it is to change our thinking, our behavior, our, our everything. Well, it was that way until you get really into about the 400s. They're about 390 AD when a guy named Emperor Theodosius became a Christian and he was so thrilled with his faith, said, hey, this is the new thing. You're all going to be Christians. Well, he suddenly made it a state thing, and he came up with a state-established religion because I'm a Christian, everybody's going to be a Christian, and that's the way it is in my empire. And and, and let's also point out that it's it's understandable on some level why a governing leader might promote this because the values, the morals of Christianity, it would help your empire potentially be better. That's right. Right? If people aren't stealing and they aren't murdering, I mean, there is maybe an, an understandably, arguably understandable reason why you would promote this. Now, when when you have people going as far as to say, and if you don't become a Christian, we're going to kill you. Well, well, now maybe you've gone a little too far, right? Like maybe you misunderstood Jesus a little bit and what you are doing. It, it, it does make sense 
that you'd want to promote religion, that you'd want to promote Christianity specifically and, and have people living like Jesus following the Bible. So this isn't that crazy of a thing, but so often when people have a good idea, sometimes there's unintended consequences. Sometimes there's, there's negative follow through, especially when you have people start saying, if you don't do this, we're going to put you in prison. We're, we're going to persecute and punish you. We're going to kill you. You've got some major issues when the government begins doing that. Yeah, because one of the clear teachings of the Bible is individual choice. I mean, all the way back to Joshua, he said, hey, you guys, choose today who you're going to serve. Is it going to be the God of the Egyptians or the God of the Canaanites? Or I'm going to choose the the God of Israel, but who are you going to serve? And Jesus, same thing. Whoever will, come after me. He didn't force anybody to. But now you have introduced the concept of a state-established church. And starting at that time, about 390, you start seeing the growth of state-established churches, and they start saying, well, here's the official doctrine. Here's what we believe, and if you don't believe that, you're going to be in trouble. And so you get in the Inquisition, you get in the Crusades, you get in other things. And the Crusades weren't all about establishing religion. It was really about defending from Muslim aggression. But as part of that, the church started becoming coercive and started taking positions that here's what we believe, and if you don't, you're in trouble. And so all of that's going on. And in that period of time, if you're going to have other people tell you how to live your life— And if there's going to be a penalty for not living it the way they say, it really doesn't seem to matter much what the Bible says. I mean, why why do I care what the Bible says? Because here's what I'm being told. Here's what they'll kill me for if I don't do. And so what you find is the Bible became set aside for about a thousand years. We became a very biblically illiterate world. Even the Christian professing world did not know the Bible. There were scholars who, who studied it, but by and large, the average person could not get it. And so we go into a time of really high illiteracy. And that high illiteracy, uh, if you can't read the Bible, what's worth reading was kind of the attitude. And and so you see this really high illiterate times. And, and so that means you're really dependent on what your leaders tell you. This is where the Reformation comes in. Starting about the late 1200s, early 1300s, there are some Catholic priests who are start, part of that state-established church who say, man, when we read the Bible and, and look at what it says, this is not what the king's doing. This is not what the church is doing. This is not right. We should be doing what the Bible says. And so all, all these early Catholic priests from Martin Luther to Tyndall to Huss to Wycliffe to Cramner, all these guys that we call the Reformers, they started saying, it's time for everybody to get back to the Bible. And so they were persecuted so much for doing that that it really kind of started a new movement, and that started what's called the Protestant Reformation. And Protestant is just based on the word protest. We're protesting the way it's being done right now, and we're saying this is not the right way to do it. So the Reformation was really a back-to-the-Bible movement And to do that, they wanted the Bible in everybody's language. Whatever your language was, whatever nation you are, you need to know God's word for yourself. And so in Czechoslovakia, John Hus is the guy that tried to translate the Bible into Czech language. And they killed him for doing that because, no, 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 we're the ones that tell you what the Bible says. You don't need to be reading it for yourselves. In England, it was uh, Tyndall and and Wycliffe, same thing. They get burned at the stake and their bones burned at the stake because they try to bring the Bible to the everyday person where you can read it and everyone needs to know what it says. So that's the beginning of what is called the Reformation. And it's about that point in time that the the people that we know as the pilgrims or what are called the separatists or the brownists, or the, there were different names given them, they started getting in the Bible. And the more time they spent in the Bible, the more they saw how bad the culture was. And the more they tried to do what the Bible said, the more they got persecuted for doing what the Bible said because the king and the state-established church said, no, that's not the way we do Christianity here. And so that eventually ends up with them having to, to leave England because they're so persecuted. They go to Holland and in Holland, they're free for a while, but it's a fairly secular country, and they want to raise their kids in a Christian faith. And then they, they come out w- with a piece in, in 1619 that criticizes the king back in England. And so the king in England sends people to Holland to chase them out of Holland, and that's how they come to America. 
So they come to America, and the Bible is a really, really big deal for, for them. This is the, the, the basis of their life, and, and they try to conduct their business that way. They try to conduct their civil government that, that way. They try to conduct everything according to the Bible, which is why when you look in the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol, there is a really large painting there of the pilgrims coming to the New World, and they're all gathered around this really big Bible. It's called a Geneva Bible, and that's the first Bible available to the common man in the English language. It's the first time an English commoner, English-speaking commoner, could actually own a Bible and read it in his own language, and that's what drove these guys. That's what affected their economics and their family life and their social life and their political life and their church life. They kept looking at the Bible for everything, and their governor, William Bradford, tells that they would usually spend several hours a day in the Bible because this is a new book. So this is really the start of Thanksgiving is with the attitude of these people and wanting to make God's Word a part of their life. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break as we're going to break. Of course, today's Thanksgiving, but other things to be thinking about. As you mentioned that painting, David, the Mayflower Compact anniversary was also earlier this week on, I guess, Monday was the 21st, and there's a great article at wallbuilders.com about the Mayflower Compact, and I think this is 402 years, if I'm not mistaken. So another thing to be talking to your family about here on Thanksgiving and the importance of those self-govern- that self-governing philosophy that we began with in the Mayflower Compact. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wallbuilders. Hey guys, we want to let you know about a new resource we have at Wall Builders called The American Story. For so many years, people have asked us to do a history book to help tell more of the story that's just not known or not told today. And we would say very providentially, in the midst of all of the new attacks coming out against America, whether it be from things like the 1619 Project that say America is evil and everything in America was built off slavery, which is certainly not true, or things like even the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself, not, not the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization that says we're against everything that America was built on and this is part of the Marxist ideology. There's so many things attacking America. Well, is America worth defending? What is a true story of America? We actually have written and told that story. Starting with Christopher Columbus, going roughly through Abraham Lincoln, we tell the story of America not as the story of a perfect nation or a perfect people, but the story of how God used these imperfect people and did great things through this nation. It's a story you want to check out. Wallbuilders.com, The American Story. Welcome back to Wallbuilders. Thanks for staying with us today on this wonderful Thanksgiving, encouraging you to get with your family today and talk about what you're thankful for. Go around the circle, go around the fire, and you might even go to wallbuilders.com and print out some of those proclamations and read a couple of those proclamations to your family. It'd be a cool way to do it. So back, guys, you, you, you kind of got us to the, to the Mayflower. You got us to the painting there with the Geneva Bible. So we're leading up to Thanksgiving here on this continent. Well, as as we are looking at the pilgrims coming to America, it's also uh, worth noting, as Dad, you kind of gave a, a big overview from the the need for the Bible and where the church as a whole under state established kings, government leaders kind of derailed. When, when the pilgrims leave England to go to Holland, one of the things that changes in England, they pass a law that says that nobody's allowed to print religious material unless they have an official Anglican printing license. And that actually in 1616 is when the law came down. It says no more religious printing, no more religious material can be done. And, and the pilgrims this time are in Holland. And they've already left because of religious persecution from England that when the King James Bible came out in 1611, at this point, they stopped the importation 
of Geneva Bibles, and there's a big propaganda campaign uh, because, as you mentioned, Dad, with so many commentary in the Geneva Bible, there, there's a lot of specific directives in the commentary where they're pointing out that a lot of what the king or some of these religious leaders under the king are telling the people to do don't make any sense if you know the Bible. And really, if you look back at the Reformation, what so many people think of with the Reformation is Martin Luther, his 95 thesis on the door of the Church of Wittenberg. One of the things that that Luther argued against was this notion that people would have to pay money to have their sins forgiven, that, that he would have to buy something and present that to a priest, and, and then you could have your sins forgiven. And he said, this is crazy. This is not what the Bible teaches. This is what the reformers were doing, is they were saying there's a lot of things that are being promoted that are not what the Bible teaches. And those commentaries in the Geneva, as they're outlying, outlining some of the things that were wrong, when, when the King James Bible comes out, and there's a big propaganda push that says, hey, guys, you don't need that other Bible. This one is way better done by the king. And remember, there's lots of kings in the Bible. Some of the greatest heroes in the Bible are kings. God loves kings. God speaks through kings. And there's a big propaganda push to restore the king in this thinking of the people. Well, all this is going on. The pilgrims are in Holland. And in Holland, one of the elders of this pilgrim church was Elder William Brewster. And William Brewster was a printer. He printed lots of stuff, but for this story, in 1618, one of the things he printed was the commentary on the New Testament, and it was smuggled back into England to some of their friends in their same denomination, and so the, the Puritans, the Separatists, as they're in England, this these materials that are religious materials are being smuggled in, and the king has said, hey, you're not allowed to print any more of these materials. Well, technically, they're not printing it in England. They're printing it in Holland, but it gets smuggled into England, and the king gets word of what's going on, and so they soldiers are dispatched. Go find out where this is coming from. It's traced back to Holland. It's Elder William Brewster. He's the one doing this, and they tell him, hey, you cannot be sending in these religious materials to England anymore. We don't allow that, so he's warned to stop. The following year, he again prints off more religious material, religious pamphlets. It's sent into England. At this point, it specifically highlighted several things the king had promoted and said, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, where they were saying that uh, if you pay maybe extra money, then then you could have your own private baptism. It could be really special, or you could have your own, your own private communion. It'd be really special. And they pointed out, like, this is crazy. That's not what the Bible teaches. And it was at this point that soldiers, again, were dispatched. They show up in Holland. And they they tell him, look, we warned you. They end up seizing all of his printing material. So all of right the, the letters, the alphabet, all of the numbers, all the punctuation, everything you would use in printing material, they take all of it. At this point, the pilgrims realize that it's really not going well in Holland. They're not having as much freedom as they had hoped for. And their kids are growing up in a secular nation, embracing some of the secular ideas. So they want to move where they can take their families to a place where their families are going to be more protected from kind of outside ungodly culture and where they maybe have the religious freedom they were hoping for. At this point, they decide they're going to get a couple ships. They go to England, they get the Speedwell and the Mayflower. And this is the summer. The Speedwell, as they are leaving, develops a leak. They turn around and come back. They ended up finally being able to fix a leak. They leave again. There's more leaking issues. They come back. And in September, they realize that we're not taking two ships. It's just, it's not going to work, but we still want part of our people to go. And this is, the pilgrims were a church congregation is the best way to think about them and understand them. This is a religious group together. And so they say, we can't all fit on the Mayflower, but let's take as many people as we can. So the Mayflower is just completely packed. And as many people as were able to fit on it, they're going to take them to the new world. 
As they go, they're now leaving in September, and this is way later than they intended to leave. The weather is now changing because you have the fall coming in, and, and there's storms coming in. On their voyage across the ocean, there's a massive storm that that hits them and ends up in the storm, the main beam of the ship breaks. And as it breaks, the ship is crippled and the captain doesn't have a way to fix it because the tools they need, they don't have on board. It just so happens that Elder William Brewster brought his printing press. He has no printing materials, no way to print anything. Why would you bring a printing press to the new world where you don't even have anybody to print for? There's nobody there. And the people that are don't speak your language, why would you bring a printing press, especially one that doesn't work, with you to the new world? This is the justification from every hoarder ever. They're like, <laughs> yeah, no, guys, right. one day this is totally going to be helpful. You don't even know. One day I'm going to use this to save your life. Well, it just so happened in this moment. William Brewster was right. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you bring this to the new world? You have no way to print anything, and it's only your people largely going. Like It, it doesn't make sense, but... Arguably, look, there's 102 of you. You mean to tell me you can't have a meeting and talk to 102? You have to print something to distribute for 102 people? It doesn't even make sense. I can only imagine he was telling guys, hey, I paid a lot of money for this. I'm not leaving it behind. It's going with me, right? We're loading it on. Well, when the storm happens and the main beam breaks, the largest component of the printing press was a, a large jack screw. They're able to get this printing press under the main beam. Which is kind of like a big hydraulic jack. I mean, you, you screw it up the same way you would ha- take and, and pump a floor jack to lift a car off the ground. The jack screw is a big old threaded thing that's four, five, six inches thick, and they just screw it up and it, it lifts the beam back up. So they're able to get the beam in place. They're able to sail the ship, and they're, they had permission from the king to go to Jamestown or the Jamestown colony to Virginia, but the storm now has blown them incredibly far north. And they arrive in November, already snow on the ground, and they're looking for a place to land. It's not till December. They actually get to Cape Cod. This is where they begin now to, to unload. Let's go explore. Let's go see things. They're largely out of food. The, the, the food they have remaining, there's a lot of rotted food. And so they have to try to find food and they have no homes. There's snow on the ground. This is up in New England in winter. And it was described as one of the worst winters, maybe like this, this kind of mini ice age kind of thought is how some historians even describe this. But they are in a very tough winter, no homes, no fuel, no food. That winter, half of them died. And the following, leading into spring, it's not quite spring, in March. And March is when they encounter the first Native American when they have interaction with, and that's Somerset. And Somerset had engaged with other ships who had done trade. So he he had met with Englishmen and, and, and arguably probably some Spanish, maybe some French uh, sailors along the way doing trade, but he had learned some English words and the pilgrims heard him speak English words. They were blown away. They, they, they couldn't believe it. This guy knows English. Well, he didn't know very much English, but he told them there's someone who knows even more English than I do. Let me go get him. I'll bring him back. Well, it's Squanto. Squanto comes back, not only speaks more English, Squanto also brings the chief of the Wampanoag Indians, who were the large tribe of that area, Chief Massasoit, and the pilgrims end up being able to sign the longest lasting peace treaty between any white people, between any natives in American history. And it was between the pilgrims and the Wampanoag Indians. In, in the midst of this, as it unfolds, Squanto realizes the pilgrims, they're in a lot of trouble. They, they, they need some help. Squanto decides he wants to live with the pilgrims and show them how to hunt, how to fish, how to grow crops. And guys, my favorite part of the story is the reason Squanto is able to help them so much is because the pilgrims arrived at a place that was deserted. No, nobody was there. But the reason it was deserted is because several years prior, a disease had come through and it had killed all the natives living in that area. Well, Squanto happened to be one of the natives from the area. The reason Squanto wasn't there, back up to 1614. 
1614, as a Jamestown colony is, is growing, there's, there's more people from England coming over to Jamestown. There are captains and sailors who are going up and down the coast. They're exploring the territory. As they're exploring the territory, Thomas Hunt in 1614 was one of those captains. He's sailing north from Jamestown. And he's making trade with some of the natives. There were 27 natives he invited to come back on the ship. They get on the ship. He ends up kidnapping them. He locks them up. And and Thomas Hunt was an English captain, but he sailed to Spain. And at that point, Spain was very heavily involved in the slave trade. He sold these 27 natives into slavery in Spain. There were Spanish friars that saw what was happening and, and they interceded. They ended up buying, I think it was like 19 of these native slaves. Well, they buy them to free them. They actually help get these natives to England. And among these natives, Squanto was one of those that was kidnapped in 1614. He was taken to Spain and and, and it was bought by these friars, these Christians who are trying to help set him free. Squanto goes to England. He lives with monks in England. So again, Christians in England, they teach him English. They they arguably are teaching him English from the Bible and had probably even trying to teach him how to read from the Bible. In 1619, he decides he wants to go home. When he goes back to the new world, he then goes to where his colony had been, where his people had been, and they're all gone. It's believed that he had a wife. It's possible he even had kids, but his entire tribe is gone. They've all died. And, and now there's, there's no, no more of his people. So he joins to a local tribe, which was the Wampanoag tribe. So when the pilgrims arrived the following year, and the, obviously the natives would have heard about this. They would have known that there's a ship, there's new people here. Well, it's the spring of 1621 when they get connected and Squanto says, I'm going to live with them and help them. Well, Squanto was literally the only one possibly who could have done this because he was a man of two worlds. He, he was a native from the very era the pilgrims were, but he also, he'd been in England the last five years. He, he was the only one who actually knew something of the English culture and their customs. He, he knew their language. And while he's with the pilgrims, not only can he help them know how to hunt and fish and grow crops in the new world, the place they are, he literally can tell them, hey guys, hey, the best fishing hole is right over here. Come, come down to these rocks over here. And actually, this is the best field to grow crops. We had the most success here. He literally is able to help the pilgrims grow in the very area where his people had died. And Squanto is the one who keeps them alive. When you come to the first Thanksgiving, there's 53 pilgrims that have survived. And Chief Massawit comes with 90 Indian Braves. There's 22 adult males. There's 90 Indian Braves. But for three days, they fellowship together. They, they actually have athletic competitions. They have races and shooting matches and wrestling matches. But they also take time to pray and thank God for what God has done. The, the story of the pilgrims, guys, is amazing. For people that want to know more, they can certainly go to Wall Builders or our book, The American Story, has more details. But certainly an incredible legacy for Thanksgiving. So when you think of Thanksgiving, oftentimes we think of all, all these happy times and good times, etc. They really had tough times and were still thankful at the end of those tough times. So it's still a God-conscious attitude. When we hit Thanksgiving, regardless of what's happened to us or our family or the country or anything else, we still want to remember that God is a source of all of our blessings. We thank Him for that. And despite what may be going on around us, we want to be thankful. Be sure to visit the website today, folks, at wallbuilders.com. You can print out some of those Thanksgiving proclamations and learn more about the history of Thanksgiving. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Wall Builders.